Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. On this week's episode of the Blazers Edge podcast, I am joined by Blazers Edge Associate Editor Steve DeWong, and we're going to talk a lot about James Harden and why it makes sense to trade for him. Like that's, that's a real thing, so prepare yourselves for that. We talk about the Blazers' first two games against the Utah Jazz and squeaking by against the Houston Rockets, what to look forward to on this road trip against the Lakers, Clippers, and the home-and-home home against the Warriors, and a lot more in between, including taking a look at what has been a disaster piece of a second unit that includes Carmelo Anthony. Let's get to it. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to this week's edition of the Blazers Edge Podcast. I am your host, Danny Morang, and this week I am joined by Blazer Edge's own Steve DeWald. Have we come up with a name for your title yet? Like, Actually, I do. I, I know it now. Oh, what I'm is aso- it? I, I'm associate editor. I'm, oh! What? One below Dave. There you so that, go. I have an official title. We, we, so. We've established some sort of pecking order that you guys try yeah. to, like, rope me in and then I just, <laughs> nope, <laughs> swindle out. Uh, we're recording now. It is almost 6 o'clock here on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Carmelo Anthony is not with the team. We have been told by various outlets. Uh, we'll get into that, and we'll hit on Melo specifically. Also, I'm going to plug the fact that I will also have a episode of the breakdown that'll come out alongside the podcast but focusing specifically on Carmelo Anthony which is both fortunate and unfortunate timing wise but uh pay attention and look out for that as well but Steve thank you for joining me man we've got two games in the book the Blazers are getting ready to take on the Lakers they're playing here in just a little bit on NBA TV but Anthony Davis and LeBron James are playing in that game. We don't know what their status is going to be for Monday because it's a back-to-back, and we've already heard it's not a national TV game, so maybe LeBron or AD sits. I don't know. Quick thoughts. What what do you think ends up going in that direction? I mean, we the blueprint's there. The Blazers need to play nine-man rosters, mm. and they just need overtime to get there. But um, – I, yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if they're going to rest them this early in the season, and how. And I think that's going to kind of lay the blueprint out to how regimented some of these teams are going to be with how they treat rest and time off. Um, this is a crazy stretch for the Blazers. I think it's three games in a row that are going to be really interesting tests as far as teams we well at least on paper teams we expect to be there. <laughs> uh, the the Clipper the Clippers was one of the wildest things that I've I've seen today i took a screenshot of the the first half box score and steve, sent it to a few steve, of my buddies didn't you know paul george had a great christmas that's what that's what the man said he had a great christmas apparently the clippers are the only professional sports team in the world that celebrated christmas i i yeah I, yeah I, I i don't i don't know it's typically the road team that comes into los angeles that you have to worry about maybe having a bit of a nightlife issue uh but yeah the Kind of a complete disaster piece. Speaking of disaster pieces, or almost near disaster pieces, 
The Houston Rockets came into Portland last night and almost stole a game, like you said, with a nine-man roster. Might as well call it eight because the guy I thought actually might play some more because he got a nice bit of run during preseason, Bruno Kavlaklo, I think, I think he only played six minutes. Yeah. So Got in there early and then we didn't see him. That there. was it. So, quote-unquote, fat James Harden goes out and drops a 40 bomb with 17 assists with the ghost of Christmas pass as, you know, his sixth man. Uh, and Christian Wood, who balled out of his mind. We'll talk about him a little bit, mm-hmm. I'm sure. But this was not a good win for Portland in, in any way, yeah. shape, matter, or form, right? It was a necessary win after some of how the preseason <laughs> went and, and how the opener went. You'll take I it. Mean, You'll take it over the yeah, loss. You, you got you to take it. But there's a lot that is very concerning about – there's a lot that has to be done with the rotations on this team. There's a lot that has to be done as far as what exactly you're going to do defensively and just pick pick what you're going to do. You're either going to stick to the system that they they set three weeks on fire with Jim Boylan coming into town and, and coming in and trying to teach them this aggressive defense that it sounds like they're already scrapping. And then you're you're caught in this middle ground of are you going to play the ice style ball, the the drop coverage. Mm-hmm. And you're putting guys in in no man's land. I mean, we saw that with with Nurk, which we'll touch on later. But watching him try to defend and make a decision in pick and rolls with with Mitchell and Gobert was brutal. In that, it was physically because painful. he's he's either stepping out too late and guarding Mitchell in no man's land, or it's it was bad. It was ugly. It was one of the ugliest defensive performances I think I've ever seen this team have under Stotts. Yeah. And that, I, I'm not saying something. And, and the thing is, I think I differ from you here in a, a, a little bit of a sense. I think they need to find a way to have that aggressive defensive mindset in their bag. So they need to find a way to work through it. But, mm-hmm. I, again, I don't know if Jim Boylan was the guy I would bring in because in Chicago when he was there, one of the biggest criticisms of him is one of the ones that I think has been laid against Terry Stotts was that instead of being a more conservative system like Stotts all the time, he was aggressive all the time yeah. with defenders like I don't know Zach Levine who is not good in that department or doesn't care in that department and Wendell Carter who is much better served in drop coverage same with Lowry he's not exactly a guy I think you want isolated on the perimeter and switches or being that aggressive but I think you, it, it was a too strong of an overreaction or too strong of a reaction towards Boylan but I want to see them be more aggressive, use guys like Derek Jones Jr., use guys like Covington. And I thought they did a good job of it in spurts against Houston, particularly against James Harden. I'm going to kind of, kind of come back to him in that regard. In that they tried to run different looks at Harden. They didn't do the same thing they had done in the past, which is deny, 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 get the ball out of his hands. I think they were not on enough of the same page with personnel to be able to do that and be on that string. Mm-hmm. But they were opportunistic. They took care of the ball. They forced turnovers when they could. You know, we saw Covington and Jones Jr. both get out in transition, which are things that, God, Portland just has not done. When Covington got out in the open floor last night and finished twice in transition, I, it was like, oh, happy days. Like you, Those are baskets that yeah. Portland does not get over the last five years, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's just – and you've touched on this a little bit, but Covington is such a quick decision maker on both ends of the floor that it's really refreshing to see that. Whereas, you know, I loved Al Farouk Aminu, but he was very much like you could see the gears grinding on Deliberate. occasions. Yeah. And 
the other thing too, though, with defensively is it's Covington does such a good job of taking guys off of an Island. And Mm -hmm. that's just something we haven't seen Portland have to where if he identifies that he's on a non-shooter and Nurk is out there in space, you Give saw him that a couple times last shoulder. Night. Yeah, <laughs> he gets over there real quick and and switches him out, and that's just something Portland has not done. No, they, they, they have a bailout style, guy. But yeah, yeah, exactly. You're playing that escape style defense off those switches, and that's and that's going to allow them to do more down the road as this this unit kind of gels. So, but. I, I liked what I saw in spurts, particularly in the second half. We'll talk about why here in a little yeah. bit, but. The Harden t- stuff in particular, we, we made it five minutes into the podcast without talking about trading for James Harden, which I think that in alone deserves its own round of applause. Uh, <laughs> but we're at the point now where I've I've asked around to see if there's any validity to James Harden adding Portland to the list, the list of teams. Is this for real or is this AD adding Boston to his list? Because that's AD adding Boston to his list is a PR move. That's that's what that is. Is this a PR move to make it look like that he's not trying to orchestrate a trade to Brooklyn to go play with his friends and Kyrie and KP? Mm-hmm. Because the, the league doesn't want this stuff to be this blatant. They don't. So how do you get him to walk this kind of thing back to where you convince enough people that, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's okay. It's totally fine. Whatever. The answer I got was yes that there is some validity to it, that there is some traction to it, and that Portland would be interested if they did indeed have a package that Houston would be willing to accept. I don't know the parameters of the tra- of, of what a proposed trade. I don't know if a proposed trade or an offer has been made. But if you are at the point where you're not willing to include C.J. McCollum, Zach Collins, and Picks, as the starting point to a deal for a guy who just dropped 40-plus with a mash unit, who is an offensive system unto himself, to pair Damian Lillard with a no-BS MVP candidate, you are out of your ever-loving mind. I get all of the I-hate-watching-him stuff. I don't like watching James Harden. I genuinely don't. I would grind my teeth every night and then fist pump through every single win as a destroy team after team after team as they try to either single cover Damon Harden for 48 minutes or they try to send a double at one of those two and let each one of them play four on three because both of those are bad ideas. Mm -hmm. We're watching KD and Kyrie with the Nets without much of an offensive system, blow teams up. They're, they're kind of walking through a game against Charlotte right now, but you don't look at them and go, oh, they're running this beautiful system. No, you're looking at two guys that are just shot-making phenomenons, which James Harden and Damian Lillard are. You put those guys on the same team, and for the love of God, you would have, if at least for a year, which is all I have ever wanted for Damian Lillard, a no doubt, no BS chance to be a contender. Because when you've got two top 10 guys, which is what you would have, you're a contender. And for everybody out there saying this, that, or the other, I don't care. 
I just, I don't care. This is when I talk about the frustrating thing about the Portland fan base. This is it. You'd rather, oh, I'd rather have the cute stuff, the fun stuff. I want to be, no, no, for the love of God, no, no. Winning matters. It doesn't have to be the end-all, be-all, but at some point it has to. And this is, you, Steve, I would, to stop my rant for a second, <laughs> where would James Harden rank as a trailblazer on day one? Well, just to kind of clean up some of the stuff. I mean, we're on the same page here. And it, it's it's funny to have both of us on the same podcast because we're not going to get a lot of disagreement. No, trust me. I, uh, I wanted to get somebody else on here yeah. who was also going to disagree with me. But, but most people are to the point of, yeah. So here here's what I would say is the Blazers have had one MVP winner. Ever. Wearing a Blazers uniform ever. They've had the last real bona fide competitor for an MVP trophy, which I think Lillard's knocking on the door this year if the team plays well enough, but was Clyde Drexler. So you're you're on a short list of top three, top four Blazers ever already. Day one, he hits. Day one. The other thing, too, is this is the trade you make when you can get – these MVP candidates in their prime do not come available very often. Kobe Bryant is the only other one that I can think of when – he asked out and wanted to go to Chicago before they got Powell and, and Lamar and, and, and made those deals, that second-generation Lakers team. The thing that is, is so attractive about Harden for me is just look at his track record. He, at the height of the Warriors' powers, he took an aging Chris Paul and, a, and Clint Capella at center. Like These are all positions the Blazers are better at. Damian Lillard is light years ahead of where Chris Paul was mm-hmm. at that time. I mean, maybe not light years, but considerably above where he's playing at. And especially you're talking an NBA style where you can stretch the floor and really punish yeah. opponents. Damian Lillard's there. And that team took the Warriors at the height of their powers with Kevin Durant. Everybody to, healthy. Yeah. To to the brink. I mean, they and really, you know, if one one or two quarters and an injury doesn't happen, that team's going to the finals. They disrupt a dynasty. And yes, it is like I would say the one caveat for me is this is in a series with the Lakers, let's say it's Western Conference Finals, James Harden is here in Portland, CJ McCollum is part of the trade package. How would you rank the players in that contest? Who one through four, who are the best players in that series? Between and, and I don't think – well, so you'd have LeBron, obviously, would probably mm-hmm. be number one, the best player in that series. Sure. And then I would – and then I I would still say AD is probably number two in a playoff situation. And that and that is my only tiny reservation with this. I still think that okay, team that is going to give the Lakers a lot more of a problem than, than what the Bla- current Blazers construction is going to give the Lakers in, in a finals – or a Western Conference finals scenario. But, but here's, I, here's my counterpoint to that. What team right now in the NBA has the personnel to stick with a Lillard uh, Harden backcourt? It, it doesn't exist. No. You, you you could say maybe the Clippers if you've got George and Kawhi at their at their peaks, but now mm-hmm. those guys they aren't going to be as effective offensively having to guard those two because Pat Beverly's barbecue chicken. You, you're going to put Pat Bev on Dame for, for 38, 40 minutes in the playoffs? No, not happening. Not, you're, you're not. That's not happening. And we've already seen what Dame does to PG. And you're going to, you're going to make Kawhi guard Harden 
for 40 minutes. And the other, the other thing I like about this trade idea that for Portland, that I think is unique is, and I think there's some other teams on this, on his list that are also this way, but Portland does not need the guarantee of a re-up from Harden. Like yeah. if you look at how Portland's cap is constructed, it's a two-year plan thing. right now. Yeah, this is a yeah. good thing for Portland. So, it allows the reset to happen if it doesn't work. Yeah. And and this is this is something that you can you can go into a trade with less reservations, other than breaking up one of the most likable backcourts in, in this franchise's history. But I mean, there was a time where you had to break up the Paxton Drexler pairing. Yeah, I mean, this is all this has happened before with this franchise. This you got to take these shots. Because Damian Lillard's got one prime, and are you going to give him a real chance to win a title, or are you not? Are you going to have the feel-good story? Which also, I mean, I don't want to completely discount the value there, especially in this era, but let's be real here. A, a parade with Harden and Lillard would be just as sweet as seeing <laughs> McCollum and Lillard right out into the sunset, you know, if not sweeter. So I mean, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall on the sweeter side. I got yeah. I am unabashedly a guy who is said, and you will you will know what I'm going to say here. If you're not building towards a title, what are you doing? Because mm-hmm. there's other stuff that matters, certainly, but that's that's peripheral, and I think that's something that gets lost, particularly in this market. And yes, Portland fans, it drives me insane. Mm-hmm. I grew up rooting for teams and from a region in LA where titles matter. It genuinely matters. The journey is awesome. Do you think that Laker fans are sitting there going, oh, gosh, I really wish Danny Green was better during that title run so that I could really appreciate him? Or do you think they were sitting there going, rings, baby? Like, Well, I mean, Toronto is the is the best like recent yes. example. Is, is Kawhi, like, there's no reservations that Kawhi came there and left. Like, the title for And it cost Toronto, them their guy in DeMar. Yeah. And Demar is a very similar arc that CJ McCollum was on, and yes, that city is always going to have a spot, soft spot for Demar Derozan, but it will never come close to what Kawhi Leonard did at bringing them a ring. Like that's it's it's apples and oranges in comparison. That's that's honestly the best comparison you could put out there. Like I listen, I have nobody. I am not going to condemn somebody for saying they love CJ McCollum. I get it. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about a talent perspective, CJ McCollum is maybe a top 10 Blazer of all time right now. Maybe. By the end of his career, he probably is. Harden, without being here, will have been at least a top three Blazer talent-wise. I mean, if you're talking about in their peak, Clyde, Dame, James. That would be, and yes, I'm going over Bill Walton. Because of what James is in the NBA right now. He is a system unto himself. Mm-hmm. Walton was a great player. He was. He was a Hall of Famer. There's no doubt about it. When it's all said and done, James Harden is going to go down as probably one of the five greatest scorers this league has ever seen. Mm-hmm. I don't enjoy watching him. I don't. No. But I will grind through my teeth and bear it. Especially, especially when... The package that, that is likely to put together is CJ, Collins, Picks, and one of the young guys. I I start to split some hairs when Gary Trent Jr. is involved. <laughs> I do. And that's not I, be, yeah. and it's not because I think Gary's going to be the greatest player of all time. 
It's because I think Gary, number one, is a valuable player. He's an RFA, and that in itself has its own value. But at that point in time, you're sending out a lot of bodies for one mm-hmm. coming back in. And if you're talking about maximizing a window, one more has got to come back. So mm-hmm. a, a, a P.J. Tucker type, at bare Daniel minimum, House. Daniel House, yes. So, a, another body that of that's a rotation player would need to come back. Like what it, here's the thing when talking about trade packages, I talked about this a little bit uh, on Twitter, your, your, your list for James Harden, right? Brooklyn, Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Portland. Am I forgetting anybody? Miami. Mm-hmm. So those are your teams. Miami looks awful good. And I don't think that they, they believe that James Harden is going to buy into heat culture. Like, Pat Riley runs things with an iron fist. There are there are there are players in the NBA who would not and will not go to Miami because they don't want to live under that structure. That is that is a real thing. They check your BMI, they check your body fat, they check your weight. Like it is a hundred percent real thing. It's why a guy like Jimmy Butler goes there and thrives. I do not think James Harden goes there simply because of that. And I don't think that they're necessarily willing to give up Harrow Robinson and what would be, you know, the the necessary salary filler to make it happen. So I, I take Miami off the list. I think Brooklyn is one of the few times where they have so much top end talent between Kyrie and KD, and they have the right role players. And Karras is the sixth man. Dinwiddie is a second unit ball handler, or a secondary ball handler. Uh, uh, Harris as a great plug in three and D guy. Jared Allen is a backup. Like they're just, they're the right level of depth with true top end stars. And I, I think the Warriors distorted how much star power you necessarily need to have to be a title contender. Mm-hmm. What we're seeing from the Nets is a more traditional title contending team with two no doubt stars and a lot more depth behind them. Well, that's what the Lakers did last year. Exactly. I mean, and I think that's the mo- the, the, the Warriors distorted yeah, I agree that. With you. Milwaukee mm-hmm. is not going to because. Giannis is not going to play with Harden. Like that's, I think that's a no. Well, doubt. I just don't know. I don't know if Milwaukee has the assets. To, I mean, I guess Middleton's there, but like mm-hmm. they they fired away a lot of assets to get Drew Holiday there, and that's yeah. just I I don't I think they already made their move. They made their move. So beyond everything else, so Philadelphia is who you're left with besides Portland. Mm-hmm. Maury obviously has his relationship with James. It's a positive. For both sides. Maury, Maury also has a relationship with Tillman Fertitta, too. So Exactly. That's that's it. Does he want to do him any favors? Mm-hmm. Beyond that, Maury is a guy, while he likes to tinker, once he tinkers, likes to see what he has before he tinkers again. They've surrounded him, Ben Simmons, with more shooters. They're in a situation where they didn't get to see him play in the bubble. And they're both reaching their early primes. Between, might I say both? Simmons and Embiid. I don't think that they mm-hmm. want to mess with that right now. As good as Harden is, I, I I still think they're really a year away from making a move. Maybe two. What about you? So I I would say this with the with the Nets real quick. I think it, it's such a fragile situation with Kevin Durant, and I think Kyrie is the perfect co-star with him, where there's still a very clear hierarchy on who the best player is in that situation. Yes. And I think some of the stuff that soured in golden state was that line's a lot blurrier next 
next to Steph Curry at the height of his powers. And Draymond. So that that's a, and correct. <laughs> so and that's taxing. So I I think I I think the Nets. I think with the the Rockets would have to take a hell of a discount. I think I think that I like Portland's package more. Obviously, I'm a little biased here. But the other thing, though, just circling back to this idea of getting another body back if it's a bigger contract or a, just a, a big trade, lopsided trade. One idea that you touched on is a lot of the times with these big time deals, a, a third team comes out mm-hmm. of nowhere on. And it might not make a lot of sense, but this is how you get you kind of pool, you kind of swish around those assets and whether it's draft capital yeah. or or they just really like somebody that happens Which to be like happens. your four- way more often than people are willing to admit and that's how and that's how you pick up you know an eighth man ninth man for your rotation Mm -hmm. and so i i think that to think that this is just going to be a linear just one team to one team trade i i think you're going to see i think it's a bare minimum three team deal no matter who who ends up trading for james harden i think it ends up being at least a three team deal Mm -hmm. because and so houston's gonna want stuff like they want to get not only players right now to remain relevant because Fertitta wants to earn money because mm-hmm. all of his assets are tied up in, in restaurants right now, which, you know, not exactly great for him. No. But they gave up all their capital in, in the in the uh, Westbrook Chris Paul stuff. Like, th- they have nothing left. So they need to restock the cupboard for now and for later, which is where a guy mm-hmm. like a C.J. McCollum does pretty damn good in the four now. Not well, great, so but... Pretty good. Oh, don't, don't I mean, get me wrong. I think ben get... Simmons definitely it does really good oh, at the yeah. four now level. I mean that the Sixers the Sixers Sixers package if they ever got serious is the is the best the, offer. That's the package. Yes, but I mean it's a two way street. I mean, does Maury want to help out Fertitta with with putting Ben Simmons in a package, or does Fertitta want to help out uh, Maury by sending his guy up there? Like I I just don't. I I just think that's a bridge too far with that trade deal. So, but and this is where Maury Mor- finds out. a way. But that's the thing. Maury finds is, a way. This is where Portland, and this isn't me being a homer. And like anybody who else who's sitting there looking at like this, thinking that I'm the homer in this regard, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are. You were one of the harshest critics of this team, and I mean, and I mean that lovingly. Yeah, this right. thing is, I don't think Portland's offer is the best. I hell, mm-hmm. if you're ranking it among all those teams outside of Milwaukee. I think Portland's offer is the worst. But circumstantially, circumstantially, because I think Portland would be willing and able to do it right now, that puts them in a different position than everybody else. I think Brooklyn's offer is better because I think a package would likely include include Spencer, Karras, and Jared Allen, and probably draft Mm -hmm. capital because they have so many things. With me, it's it's draft capital, but I I'm automatically putting Trent into that trade package in my mind. Okay. So and th- and then I think it gets a little more even. I think it depends on where how you view CJ in the hierarchy of Dinwiddie and, and Levert. So. Oh, well, you know where I view him. I think he's I I right there, and this is gonna piss some people off. I think Spencer and CJ are different versions of the same player. One's mm-hmm. more drive happy and a little bit more of a playmaker. The other one's more of a creator off the bounce and a better shooter. It's how do you want to be your, who do you want to be your offensive initiator? Yeah. Like I, it's all in the eye of the beholder in that regard. And also I, I just generally on this trade, I think for the fan base, I think it, it really cut. I think for me, it cuts between 
the the Drexler teams, I was too young. I remember those teams, but I was too young. I was not watching the team critically. <laughs> By the time, like I'm five, I'm not. You know, Clyde Drexler is awesome. I got a mm-hmm. lot of T-shirts and sweatshirts. I'm gonna be like Mike, and then it's crossed out yeah. and says Clyde. You know, <laughs> and so then you have where I think you fall into this category where like the team I really came of age with where I was really locked in and paying attention mm-hmm. to what was going on was, you know, the traveling all-stars and that, and that's those, you know, 98 to 2001, yep. those teams. And I feel like the people who really grew up with those teams and really locked in and focused in those years, those people are on like, they, they are probably the loudest pro Harden, you know, people trader bob like you when you when an opportunity comes along and i I, will get off the hard stuff with this portland has one path to get well one and a half paths to get a guy like this they draft them which they haven't or Mm. what hasn't happened in their past ever before there's a option to trade for them they have they have this would be the single biggest acquisition in the franchise's history Outside of a draft, this would be it. Trade, free agency, whatever. This would be the single biggest acquisition. I I can't stress that enough. So if there is even the smallest chance that this could happen, and it does not cost you your cornerstone guy in Damian Lillard, and you, as I understand it, Houston isn't interested in Yusuf Nurkic. Mm -hmm. They've got Christian Wood under contract. They're going a different way with big men. And they've got him for a great deal. So why put a, a, a guy there that, that doesn't make sense? And I don't think that they view him in a, in a sense of capital that they would somebody else, like a Gary Trent Jr. I think that's a much more viable piece that they could, if they weren't going to keep him, they could flip him for other assets down the road. Okay, that's enough of the hardened stuff for right now because Steve and I are just going to sit here and talk in circles about how this makes sense and everybody else who doesn't understand this is a crazy person. But <laughs> I, while it's also true... Let's talk about the game in general, uh, Houston-Portland. We're going to try and keep this podcast a little bit shorter than usual just because the games are coming every other day for the entire month. Um, my quick takeaway, shoot the first half into the sun, especially the bench unit. Uh, Damian Lillard is still stupid good. CJ, when he gets hot, is a 50-point guy when he, wants to, when, when he gets like this. Uh, and it's nice to see Nurk actually care again. Game one, he was a dumpster fire. It was incredibly bad. Uh, lethargic, not engaged, not where he needed to be, looked gassed, looked like he was channeling his inner Tony Kukoc and was going to the bench to have a heater in between shifts. Uh, everything about that was bad. Like That I, that Utah game could have looked a lot like the Mavs Clippers today. Like mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I, I don't think people understand how, how bad Portland played in game one. It was awful. It was extremely bad. Much better effort, especially in the second half. Um, Nurkic ended up with 12 points, 11 boards, 6 assists. As I went back and watched the game this morning, Nurkic could have had a triple-double. Like he, 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 he hit guys that, that just missed shots. His playmaking was sublime. Uh, a few things defensively that I definitely wanted to see. A little, ooh. Um, looking at the box score stuff, Derek Jones Jr., Robert Covington, not huge numbers, much more impactful otherwise. Getting deflections, communicating, Getting opportunity, easy opportunity points, um, just just good stuff. And I'm gonna gas my guy up here. Shout out to Anthony Simons getting on the floor and playing with confidence. You love mm-hmm. to see it. You love to see it. A couple blocks, a steal, 
initiated the offense, knocked down a couple threes. I love it. I love I love to see my guy shine. What what, what was your what were your your points your takeaways from from Houston Portland? Well, first off, I just want to say that I was fortunate enough to I didn't watch the first half till this morning. Oh God! I I was watching. Oh God! I watched the full game today, so I watched only the second half yesterday because I was watching your Raiders Fall blow a game yeah, to the Miami yeah, Dolphins. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're going to the playoffs, hopefully. So, but um, my takeaway is this: I think this team has a long way to go, but I think we saw the the first steps of some of some of that potential that some of the hype was about in the preseason. I think. For me, some of the stuff you didn't touch on, which I agree with most of the stuff you touched on, was Rodney Hood finally kind of started to look like Rodney Hood in the second half of that game. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's going to be a long road back, yeah. and, and you have to take the grain of salt there. So if you hear me be critical of Rodney Hood, it's not necessarily of him. It's more of is the team picking the right spots for him? And yes. it definitely looked in the second half that he belonged to be. He belonged on the floor. He his, his foot speed looked a little better. He definitely was right place, right time. Um, another guy that I know we're going to touch on is is Cantor. Cantor can't miss right now. I mean, yes, it's, <laughs> he's it's literally not, missed one shot. That's it. And really, he's one. I think Nurk is still, still like I. I think he had much better game yesterday, obviously, but I still think he's not doing as much on the glass as I w- would no. like him to do. And and I think Cantor definitely fits. He just fits that traditional 2005 third big man mm-hmm. where it's I'm going to get boards. I'm going to get easy buckets. Everything that drops to me, I'm going to put back up. Like, and it's all stuff that you're you're fine with because if it's he's Zach doing Randolph, that, it's it's yeah. it's 2004 Zach, like you said, 2004, 2005 Zach Randolph. I'm going to use yeah. my big butt. I'm going to screen. I'm going to root people out, and I'm going to get offensive rebounds and putbacks that I shouldn't go up with if I'm like 99 of the rest of the NBA. But like my literal niche is I can out rebound three people, and then even though I have no bunnies whatsoever. I can score over three guys because I use my big butt and my big shoulders and I clear out space and go straight up. Like it, it defies all logic and physics, but he consistently does it. So I've gotten to the point where at least with me, if he, if he gets an offensive rebound, I'm like, yeah, it's yours. Go ahead and go up with it, man. Like oh, <laughs> he's earned that the, right. The big thing is, is when he's getting offensive boards and he's going right back up with them, the most important part of this. And I mean, I'm, this is going to sound, I'm going to sound like a dick here, but it means that he's, he's taking the shot and not Carmelo Anthony. And right now, Which is a great segue <laughs> when, when Carmelo Anthony is not taking the shots is it's looked considerably better. Like I will, I will give you credit for this is something I always said was, Oh, well, he's going to want to play a couple more years. Even I don't think he's going to go to the Knicks right away. And you're like, no, nah, when you, anything after 36 is double and it looks double, probably triple like yep. that. He looks like he has aged considerably since the last time we saw him. And, I mean, it's early in the season. It could get better. But, like, usually father time isn't wrong on stuff like this. So, it's it's been rough to yep. watch. And I know that you've got a lot on it. So, I'll, I'll, I'll let you, you touch uh, no, on it. No, I've gone through. It's only been two games. I'm not trying to overreact to it. But it has been abysmal. It has been my worst fears realized. It has been everything that I thought you know, when we heard the press conferences, protect his legacy, all that stuff, I was like, they told him he could run that second unit. That's what they told him. Like, it was just like, you've got to be kidding me. And that ball is going into that mid post, and it is turning into a god-awful shot every single time. The well, it's, the, it's, the, it's the inverse of what Mo Williams was doing in the backcourt at, at his worst when mm-hmm. he was with 
Portland in those and early Dane years. He cleaned up some shots in the second game against Utah in the second half when they were down 20, 25 points, and he was scoring against the back end of the Jazz bench, you know, one-on-one, and Utah was just kind of walking away. I, I, I don't care. He, in the Houston game, whether it was Nawaba, whether it was House, whether it was Tate, it didn't matter. Mello does not have, right now, the foot speed to get by anybody smaller than him. He may not have the foot speed to get by much many guys bigger than him. He doesn't have the quickness or the elevation on any of his post moves right now. He, I think he's been blocked two or three times on his, his post spin fade. Everything that he is doing that when the ball goes to his hand and he is trying to create and have things run through him is a net zero. It is mm-hmm. ineffective on every single level. Now, the flip side of that is, after I've got done just crapping all over him, when he is decisive with the ball in the catch and shoot or attacking a closeout or in the pick and roll as a pick and pop guy or when Dame gets trapped, they've run two at him and he's the release valve, him taking those shots, and again, I'll break all this stuff down with the video I have coming out for the breakdown alongside this, is good. I have zero issue. If the ratio is 3-1 to one or 4-1 to one of him as a release valve, catch and shoot, as a short roll playmaker, or, or, or catching the ball at the, the free throw line and working as either a facilitator or a shot creator from there, I have zero issue with it. But the offense running through him is two things right now. One, awful. Two, stagnant. It is causing everybody else to sit there and stand there and watch because once it goes in there, it does not come back out. And when you've got Ennis Cantor out there and you've got Rodney Hood out there, both of which are, are ball stoppers in their own right, where the hell is that second pass going to come from? Where is the, the swing, swing ball motion going to come from? And I just, I look at that team and everybody's like, oh, Stotts this, Stotts that. No, that's not a Stotts thing for everybody else out there. That is a promise made to Carmelo Anthony. If you keep, if you are watching that Blazers second unit right now and you cannot see that the offense is being force-fed through Carmelo Anthony to placate his legacy, I don't know what to tell you. Because that's what is happening on that floor. It's, like, it's ugly. And, I mean, this is one of, the, it's one of the problems that we saw coming into the season when they didn't bring in a veteran third ball handler either. And that, and that should have been the writing on the wall for all this. And granted it is early things could change. I mean, Carmelo Anthony is learning to play in a bench role for the first time in his career. Hopefully, hopefully that's what he's doing. So, I mean, there is going to be learning curves for everybody. It's a brand new group out there and it's a brand new role for Melo. Like that's, that's as optimistic as I can get right now. (laughs) You go through and watch every single one of his shots. I showed you before we started here. He's leaving every shot a foot short. And that's that's that father time mm. thing. Like, you wonder how much the legs are there. Like, when he has to do something other than catch and shoot, it's like that's – and again, you could be right. I, I will be fully willing to eat every one of my words right now. If he comes out and all of a sudden his legs are fine in two weeks and he's 14, 15 points a game and he's shooting 44%, fine. I, 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 I'll come on here and give the full mea culpa. Well, it, but the reason why I don't think that's going to happen is we watched this guy come off the couch last year and come in and play, and that was with no prep, and he looked quicker. Now he's had all he's had some prep coming into the season, certainly more than he had last time, and he looks saw a cons- lot of videos from the Black Ops court of him looking, uh, you know, ready to go. 
Ugh. <laughs> but I'm hoping. Uh, first off, I hope he's fine. I hope every. I hope it's it's nothing. I hope this is all just safety protocol. That yes, I should. I, I we should say that so, with all so, this because it's hard to remember. Reconcile but at the same things. time, like I, I really hope this gets figured out. I also hope he doesn't bully his way back into the starting lineup. Like that, that would that would be my nightmare situation here. Yeah, because so. here's the thing: I think Jones Jr. and Covington are starting to to work their way in and find a place. Shout out Damian Lillard for finding Derek Jones Jr. Mm-hmm. on a damn lob. Finally, yep. good God, that pass is awful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but. Holy hell, what a finish by DJ. He reached back, turned midair, and threw a reverse alley-oop. Not because he wanted to put a little mwah on it, because that's how he needed to catch and finish it. But, good lord. I just, I hope that's the beginning of a a beautiful relationship, because, man, that's a lot of free points. (laughs) Yeah, well, and then also, I mean, I just love – there was I, at least one play yesterday where Nurk just pivots from the high post facing downward and then just drops it right into him. And like that I, – I think Derek Jones Jr. is going to be a huge fan favorite for this team. I mean, granted, you you covered that when you talked to him. Is he just seems to have the right DNA for this fan base. And, and I mean, even – I mean, yesterday, I mean, uh, Jordan Kent commented on it, but – it was, it was DJ that was taking the shots to the face instead of Nurt last night for some reason. <laughs> Poor and guy like, got I mean, rolled three times last night. Nothing endears you faster to the Portland fans than just getting, getting waylaid yeah. and then not getting a not getting a whistle. Uh, so. We touched on Cantor there a little bit, but I want to kind of roll it back. Cantor has been g- good enough. I, I'm going to just go ahead and put it that way. He has been exactly as advertised what we expect. He's very bad in the pick-and-roll coverage, especially when you ask him to come above the free-throw line. That can't be something that's done with him. It's just – can't play Cantor is a thing. And I, we've referenced the, the the Stephen Adams conversation with Fizdale before. Uh, basically, for those that don't know, Stephen Adams is getting ready to check in for a game. They're, he's a friend with Cantor, says something to Fizdale along the lines of, you get him out of the game, you, you know, he's getting abused because he can't cover the pick-and-roll. And he's saying that because he's his friend – Fizdale laughs, but Cantor's, or excuse me, uh, Adams is entirely serious. And he's like, no, seriously, get him out of the game. Because he doesn't want to see his buddy, his friend, look bad. And if you're asking him already to put him, or asking him to be in a position he's not good at and not comfortable in, and then you're putting him alongside Carmelo Anthony and Rodney Hood, that's that's the least athletic front court in the NBA by a substantial margin. Oh, yeah. Like the, the foot speed there is non-existent and then pushing them out. I just no hard pass. So that that's got to go away, but Cantor's doing well as a screener. He's trying to be a pivot guy when he comes in for Nurk and he's kind of out there with that starter group where he understands his, his, where he's at in the pecking order with Dame, CJ Covington, those guys, right? Mm-hmm. He's made a couple errant passes, but he's attempting to be more than the true black hole. Throw in the fact that he's getting you those extra possessions. He's missed one shot on the season. And he at least gives you effort on the defensive end. Cantor gets a passing grade, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, and I think Cantor's role, I think, is only going to – or his effectiveness on defense is only going to get better because I think that's something that's going to come with time where it's you're going to have to tweak the system. And it, it comes back to that whole thing of, you know, Boylan's too rigid one way and Stotts is sometimes too rigid the other way. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a very fluid-type situation here here 
or at least if you're going to reach the maximum potential defensively for both these units is you're going to have to be able to swap around what that center is doing, depending on who's in there. And, and it'll also be really interesting to see. I know he's not your favorite guy or we, at least a question mark is Zach Collins. And I, I think it'll be interesting to see where exactly he slots in and how he kind of makes up for that lack of athleticism in that second unit. I mean, it, it's not perfect. I still don't know what your offense is going to look like with those guys on the floor. It's, it's not going to be pretty, but defensively, I think you're certainly more athletic and, and you're adding some foot speed and you're adding a mobile seven footer where you just kind of have these really slow footed front quarter players. Well, speaking of adding mobile seven footers, Carmelo Anthony is not with a team as we were talking about in Los Angeles, which is going to do some things to the rotation here. And either Robert Covington is going to play 40 minutes or Harry Giles is going to get some burn, ladies and gentlemen. We've done it. We've we've got our Giles yeah. on the floor. Uh, I, I've had a, I've already had a bunch of people text me uh, as soon as the news broke that Melo wasn't with the team. They're like, "What did you do?" You know, I, I didn't I didn't yeah. spike any results. I didn't contact the lab, folks. Like we aren't we aren't that desperate to get Giles on the floor. I mean, not yet. But you expect Giles to at least get some minutes now, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got those minutes got to come from somewhere. Like you said, you're not going to pay play Covington especially if LeBron and AD are both playing, you're not going to play someone that long. You need that, a, And you need a little bit more size for those guys. And I started, mm-hmm. well, I started chick- taking a few boxes. I'm like, well, well, well we could see. But uh, beyond that, uh, Gary Trent Jr. played six minutes against a James Harden Houston team. When asked post-game why Gary Trent Jr. didn't play the second half, Terry Stott said he had a decision to make at a nine-man rotation in that he opted to go with Anthony Simons over Gary Trent Jr., end of quote. Um, how much of that are you buying? None. <laughs> that is... I, I mean, when, when they were going to address it and it wasn't an injury, I it was going to be yeah. 100% fully pegged on my bullshit meter. Yeah. And, like, and that's exactly what it was. Like, You can't say we reduced the lineups when you used... Gary Trent Jr. exclusively in the type of situation that you needed Gary Trent Jr. for last game. Like anytime someone was barbecuing you in the bubble, you brought Trent Jr. in specifically to guard that person. And I I just don't buy it. I don't buy it for a second. And they're talking out both sides of their mouth here a little bit with Mm -hmm. this Carmelo Anthony situation where they're saying, well, he only played 20 minutes and it's all protocol and all this so it's like, okay, well, you're already one person down in your rotation if that's your truth. Like, I, I just don't – I don't get it. And I, I don't know – I think eventually we'll probably find out what, what went on there. But – and, and I, I will say this about Stotts is he's definitely one of those guys where I don't know what happened. It could have happened in practice. It might be something that, that didn't – hasn't happened. But Stotts has always rewarded minutes and playing time off of effort and practice. This mm-hmm. and it's kind of been that old school type mentality. And granted, I don't, I don't know what to make of this situation. I don't know if that's the answer, but I know one hundred. The history here suggests that something isn't right. When Stotts makes a rotation adjustment, mm. it's not on a whim. No. When Yusuf Nurkic got benched against the Brooklyn Nets, was that on a whim? No. Or was that strike three when Nurk was doing something he shouldn't have been? And I'm not mm-hmm. saying that Gary did something he shouldn't have done. Did he say something he shouldn't have said? Or did he question a rotation? Like, there's so many 
different things. But the Blazers, mm. number one, they keep everything in-house, always have. Stotts doesn't do, do stuff on a whim. And Gary Trent Jr. is too good of a player to just play six minutes. Mm. So something doesn't add up without an injury. Yep. That's, that's just the reality here. So I'll be interested to see if, when, <laughs> Gary plays against the Lakers, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially now that you're you're down. I mean, you're already going to be tweaking your bench rotation already. So it'll be it'll be extremely interesting to see what happens. I mean, Lakers. Dennis Schroeder's a guy that Gary Trent Jr. should likely spend minutes on, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. And Schroeder's looked really good so far this season. So it's going to be – it's going to be – I just – I'm not buying what they're saying. No. And I, I, I don't like, think anybody should. It's hard for me to buy it's hard for me to buy into the practice thing too, because I know I, I think Gary Trent Jr. is something we touched on before the pod is one of the hardest working people. He's a dog. At least he's he's carried that reputation since he's been in this league. And Dame I doesn't just, come out I, and I'm say truly You know, I was say Dame doesn't come out and say, I knew this guy was gonna be this guy because of how hard he works, unless Gary's a dog. Like that's mm-hmm. Dame doesn't artificially gas guys up publicly. That's not that's not his MO. Nope. I mean, go back and look at mm-hmm. other guys that have been on this team where Dame doesn't really say anything about them and that they're not a part of this team for very long. Or in the league. <laughs> yeah. Most, I mean, he, he, he typically, he hits on things that he's honest about. And I'm not just talking about, oh yeah, mm-hmm. no, he's a good guy. Da, da, da. I'm talking about when he specifically addresses things, character traits about guys. He's, he's very direct in those things. So, and again, I don't like stirring the pot and like being TMZ with this, but something does not make sense here. Mm-hmm. And it's not adding up. We're two games into the season. We've already got a little bit of craziness. Obviously, um, Nasir is still coming back from health and safety protocols. Mello is precautionarily on health and safety protocols. We don't know if he tests positive. We don't know if he got a false positive. We don't know if he's getting a second test. We just know he's not with the team and he's not in L.A. Or he was exposed to somebody who was... And they do contact yeah. tracing. Yeah, whatever yeah. it is, we don't know. And likely we probably won't know until later down the road because Portland's going to play everything really tight to the vest because they always do. But you've got Anthony Simons getting minutes. You've got Gary Trent Jr. not getting minutes. You've got the bench unit consisting of Carmelo Anthony stalling horribly. And this, I think, this is going to be a good litmus test. Uh, <laughs> well, a tough litmus test. As it mm-hmm. pertains to the Lakers, the Clippers, and then, which is kind of weird, they're going to do a, a one of these series in Los Angeles against the Lakers and Clippers, and then they're going to have a series in Golden State against the Warriors. So four games and what seven nights, whatever it is, um, but only in two cities. Mm-hmm. Um, if Portland goes two and two on this road trip, is that successful? I, th- I think so. With what we've seen so far late in the preseason and what we've seen so far to start the season, I think if they come home at 500, I think that'd be a success. Is one and three okay? You know, one and three might be my best case scenario for this road trip. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, that's... I mean, the Clippers certainly didn't look good today, and the Warriors have not looked like world beaters at all. I mean, so... they haven't looked like beaters, so let alone yeah. world beaters. No. no. So. What do you got coming up, man? 
Um, I'm actually going to cover a lot about what we talked about today. I'm, I'm going to finally speak up on the Harden thing and, and probably voice my support <laughs> on the site since we've had and that's the, 16 the pages Blazers. in the Slack channel. <laughs> yeah, the, the beautiful thing about Blazer's Edge is, you know, we feature a lot of work where we don't necessarily agree. doesn't mean we don't respect the other viewpoints, but I don't think anyone's come out and really said the definitive, this is why I Which want James Harden in Portland. Kind of what we're doing so, here, too. Like, it's... Yeah. Like I'm not trying to mince words as much as I hate his game and everything really about him. Mm-hmm. I, I'm willing to take that bullet and just, ah, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll go with it. And I think that's yeah. kind of where, where we're both sitting at now. Well, thanks for hopping on, man. Uh, for those that don't know, I, I, I snagged Steve short notice because uh, I got stood up by somebody else <laughs> who will remain nameless. Uh, it's the second week in a row. I am still working on, uh, getting Harry Giles back on the show. Obviously with the schedule is the way it is. It is a little bit funky, had a scheduling snafu, but he is still interested in coming back on the show. So we're looking to get him back on as soon as humanly possible. I will also be reaching out to a couple other guys and hopefully have them on throughout the season. Uh, thank you everybody for listening, for supporting the show, like subscribe rate review. We're on all of your platforms. We're on Spotify. We're on Stitcher one, iTunes, megaphone. Obviously Spotify is bought out megaphone so if you get your stuff through them and all of a sudden you see it being routed differently spotify is your new home enjoy um <laughs> i'll have more like i said on carmelo anthony on the breakdown coming up uh, i'll have a few more pre-game shows and i will get a schedule eventually i will get a schedule for what i'm doing these pre-game live shows thank you for everybody who has come in and checked them out uh i've had a blast doing them uh, the interaction has been great already, so I'm really looking forward to doing those throughout the season. Uh, thank you, everybody. We'll catch you guys. Steve, thank you for hopping on. Screw your Dolphins. Everybody else, <laughs> love you. <laughs> Have a good week. Be All safe. Right. Talk soon. Bye. Hey, I'm on top. Really, I'm on top. Uh, yeah. Whole crew on top. Really, we on.